We are starting a new book today. We're starting in the book of Romans. And um, uh, this is really an interesting book. This book was probably written when Paul was in Corinth on his third missionary journey. What's unusual about this is this is the only book, this is the only letter to a church that Paul himself did not found. So if you think of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Thessalonians, he founded all of those churches. This is the only book to a church which he did not found. And in fact, based on what we know in history, it seems as if no apostle founded this church in Rome, but this church was established by uh, uh, Jews who had believed in Jesus as the Messiah, when they fled from Jerusalem because of the persecution, they went to Rome and they founded this church. And now the church in Rome is predominantly Gentiles, Gentile converts who had come to the Lord through the witness of these believing Jews who had, were filling Rome. Um, uh, he, was, he couldn't get to Rome, couldn't get to Rome at this time to see them, not because Satan hindered him as, as in other times, but because of the busyness, which he, he talks about actually in this book. Um, this is the first systematic theology, the first book for systematic theology. And uh, um, uh, this is, you know, I'm not a theologian, and so if you think that I'm a theologian, you're wrong. I'm not a theologian. I just fly by the seat of my pants in Bible instruction. I just love the Word of God. I read it a lot. I'm not a theologian. I'm not a trained theologian. I've never been to seminary a day in my life. No, I take that back. I have, but that was to teach. I've never attended seminary a day in my life. And I taught one semester at a seminary. I was invited to teach. And and, uh, um, the president of the university decided to attend that class. And I asked everybody to join me in prayer the fir- during the first lecture on their knees. And uh, so it was <laughs> unusual. And, and, and I, got, I got some negative feedback from some, some people in the class as a result of that. They weren't used to it. But in any case, um, so, so there's different ways of breaking up this book. And there's dis- different ways that it could be outlined. So chapters 1 through 8 form a major unit. And it could be called the theology of righte- righteousness. Uh, he deals he deals with uh, um, uh, justification, uh, salvation, and sanctification. Uh, then, if you go through in chapters nine through eleven, it has to deal with with um, God's righteousness in relationship to Israel. So he deals with Israel as a unit. And then in chapter chapter uh, um, chapters twelve through sixteen. He deals with with, uh, the practice, the practice of this theological truth which he's teaching. And one of the things that he has to deal with here is that that, uh, uh, he talks about how God's love for us is unfailing. God's love is absolutely unfailing. But then he realizes that that somebody could raise their hand and say, well, what about the nation Israel? Uh, He had made, God made a bunch of promises to them and they're not really walking in, in the grace of God and, at, at that time in history. And so what he does is he spends a lot of time showing how God, uh, God's faithfulness to Israel has not waned. And the promises that he has given them will be coming true. 
And so that's why as believers in Jesus, we can bank on it that he will come through for us. So that's kind of a, a very brief introduction into the, the book of, of, uh, in, into the book of Romans. And, uh, we could spend an entire, an entire session just on the background, but we're not going to. And let's just start reading it now. And then, uh, we're not going to get through this first, first verse or two very quickly, but we'll start reading it. It says in, in chapter one, verse one of the book of Romans, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we're gonna, we're just going to pause right there and start looking at a couple of things here. So he starts out and he says, Paul. Now, What's taught many time in, many times by Gentiles is that, that he was, prior to his becoming a Christian, that he was named Saul. When he became a Christian, he changed his name to Paul. And that might be a Gentile way of looking at it, and, uh, but it's not really quite accurate. Now, I will tell you that, that, uh, um, I do use two sources of, of helps as I prepare for Bible studies. Uh, one is Matthew Henry's commentary. Matthew Henry's commentary was written in the 1600s. And I love that because it, it's not influenced by modern day mindset. And, uh, uh, and he, he gives a, a lot of explanations there. And I also use the resources of Aerial Ministries. Uh, Aerial Ministries, A-R-I-E-L. Uh, that means lion in Hebrew. And, and um, I served on their board for five years and uh, uh, the work of their founder, Dr. Arnold Fruchtenbaum, who's a Messianic Jew, uh, uh, you're, you learn a lot from a Messianic perspective through that. So, um, uh, so those, those are the two backgrounds that I do and, and use. Now, Paul, this name Paul is actually not a Christian name. It is a Latin name, and it's a common Latin name. And so you will find other people for example, in the Bible, named Paul, named the same name. In the book of Acts, you find Gentiles named Paul. So, for example, there was, there was a man in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 7, it says, uh, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This name Paulus, it's letter for letter, exactly the same as Paul in, in Greek. But, it, but in the English translation, they leave, they reserve this name Paul for the apostle and they call the others Paulus. But uh, uh, in Greek, it's exactly the same. So it was a common name. But this was a common practice for Jews in the diaspora, Jews who were, who were in the, the, uh, uh, living outside of Jerusalem commonly have, had two names. And that's the same today. Many Jews will have two names. They'll have a name that they use in the, in the synagogue, and they'll have a name that they use just out and about. And so remember, Paul was of the dispersion. Paul was from Tarsus, which was a city that was under Roman rule. And, uh, um, and Saul was from outside the land and uh, from Tarsus. And so he had both names. He had Saul, the name that he used in the synagogue. And he had, he had Paul, the name that he used outside of the synagogue. So it never says that Paul changed his name. Actually, in Acts chapter 13, verse 9, it says... 
but Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Spirit. So his name was also, he was also known as Paul. It was his name. And it wasn't like he chose this name. And to say he became a Christian is actually inaccurate. There were no Christians when he came. I mean, Christians was a, was a term that they used later on, and it was a term that, that was used in Antioch. So Acts chapter 13 predates the time of, of, of uh, when he's really going out for, from Antioch, or just about this time that he's going out. And so, so uh, it's just around this time. So this term Christian, Christian was not a name that they called themselves. They did not call themselves Christians. Uh, uh, they called themselves brethren. They called themselves believers. And uh, um, Christian was a name that other people called them. And, and there is a reference in the New Testament that says, do not be ashamed of that name when people call you Christian. It was what other people called them, and then eventually they started calling themselves that. But in the New Testament, the name Christian is what other people referred to them. They didn't refer to themselves as Christians. And in fact, when Paul is making a defense of his life, he never says, I'm a Christian. Just the opposite. He says, I'm a Jew. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. These people regarded themselves as Jews and they followed this Messiah, Jesus. They never said that they were Christian. Jesus was not a Christian. Did you know that? Jesus was born a Jew and he died a Jew. He was not a Christian. He never used that terminology. That terminology came after he had died and resurrected and left this earth. That term came. And so, so, uh, um, so this, this name that he had, Paul. Now, Paul means small or little. So Paul's name is little. Now, this is an interesting point. Paul's name is little. So he was probably not a giant of a man physically. A man would not have the name Little and, and be a giant of a man. And uh, uh, so, so if, what was Paul like physically? Do we know what Paul was like physically? And we do, because Paul speaks of this. So for, for example, um, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is speaking about himself, and he says, here is how people refer to me, to Paul. Here is how people re are referring to Paul. He says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10, he says, for they say, speaking of, Paul is speaking, he says, they say of me, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive, and his speech is contemptible. So here is what people said of Paul the Apostle. His letters are weighty and strong, so he'd write these letters that are recorded in our Bible. These are the letters that we have that make up our Bible. These are powerful letters. He says, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech is contemptible, meaning that his speech provokes people. His speech is, is just, just provoking and, uh, 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 and confronting so his personal presence is unimpressive. And, and uh, uh, so I, I'm aware of this. When, when we first moved to Texas, uh, we, we got this, uh, um, this real estate agent who was a, a wonderful woman. And she was showing us different homes. And, and, you know, you really get to know your real estate agent because it was Shireen and myself. And we had our four kids in the car and we're driving around. And, 
and she's showing us these houses, and you're going from house. So you, she really, you know, she's around the family through the good and the bad, and we're tired and everything. And she sees this, and anyway, for some reason, she 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 tended to really like us, and 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 she, I don't know, she must have been impressed, and she told her husband a lot about us. So her husband never met us, and then. I don't know, a year after we bought her home, we were at a common party with her, and her husband was there. And she says, oh, Jim, you're here. I have to have my husband meet you. I've told him so much about you. And so she runs off to get her husband, and he comes walking up, and he's this big Texan man. He comes walking up, and he looks at me like this. And he turns to his wife, he goes, is this it? (laughs) And and that was it. Totally unimpressive compared to the way she had built me up to him. And I said, yeah, that's it. That's all there is. And uh, this was Paul. His name was small. His name was little. He was totally unimpressive. They said of him, he's unimpressive. To the extent that the word got back to Paul that he's unimpressive. There's nothing there. And the way he speaks, it's contemptible. You know, it's, it's not like, like uh, 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 this tremendous eloquence you're, where you're like, wow, that was wonderful. You hear this guy speaking, you're like, who does he think he is? And uh, uh, that's the way they spoke of Paul. But what's amazing is God took this small man whose name was small and he turned the world upside down. He's speaking to kings, he's speaking to governors, and he shakes the thing. Paul did this. What does it say of, of other men in the Bible? You know, are, are there physical appearances in, in, in people who uh, um, you, you'd look at it and, and uh, you, you'd wonder, you know, what were they like? You know, if you look, for example, of Elisha. Elisha did a lot of miracles, the prophet Elisha. And in 2 Kings chapter 22, I'm sorry, 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 23, it says of Elisha, Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him and said, Go up, bald head. Go up, you bald head. So you got a group of young lads calling him baldy. And uh, uh, so Elisha was so unimpressive in the flesh that, uh, that kids would mock him and make fun of him. Now, the last thing you want to do is make fun of a prophet. Um, because it says, it says right after that, it says, when he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 of the lads of their number. You don't mess with a man of God. And, and, uh, and that's, that's actually a very good principle to learn. That, that, uh, um, that we should really be careful of what we say about men and women of God. Because God really looks out for them and protects them. And so when people ask me to comment on certain people's lives and, and, and things about them, I just tell them, I just say, see 1 Samuel 24 verse 6. And I send them away. 
You want to know what I think of somebody in that situation? If they're a man of God, a woman of God, I say, say, say see 1 Samuel 24, verse 6, and I walk away. Because that says, uh, So he, David, said to his men, Far be it from me, because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. And he is speaking of King Saul. He would have absolutely nothing to do, even though Saul had done some terrible things, David would have nothing to do with lifting his hand against Saul. I am not going to go near speaking negative about a man of God or a woman of God because they, you know, God watches out for them. And that's between them and God. And uh, uh, anyway, these kids were making fun of, um, of Elisha. I bet no other kids ever made fun of that man again but unimpressive in the flesh. I want you to look at another man in the Bible, and that's in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53. And this is concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. We learn many things about the Lord Jesus in the Old Testament which are not recorded in the New Testament. And this Isaiah chapter 52, the end of chapter 52, and all of Isaiah chapter 53 are about the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in chapter 53, verse 2 of Isaiah, For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. This gives us a physical description of Jesus. We don't have any physical description of Jesus in the New Testament. We don't know if he was tall or short. We don't know if he was handsome. We don't know if he had crooked teeth. We have no idea what Jesus looked like. But here we have a description of the physical appearance of Jesus. It says that he had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing in Jesus which would cause us to be attracted to him. Physically. There was nothing there. So, I don't know if you've ever struggled with your appearance, with your physical appearance. Have you ever wanted to look different than you look? Have you ever wanted to be taller or shorter or not so chunky or different looking? Have you ever wished that you could have had a a better looking appearance? That's a huge struggle, huge struggle in our society. Huge struggle for everyone. I mean, I've struggled with this. And you think about this. What did my Lord look like? It says he had no stately form of majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing in Jesus' appearance that attracted people to him. Nothing. So if you think, well, if, if I only looked, you know, maybe, maybe I could have just been six foot four and really handsome, uh, then I'd be more confident in speaking. No then you'd probably fall into temptations and you'd fall into pride and it would be your downfall. That's probably what would happen. Because God sets us in a place according to what we can handle. 
and he sent his son to be born into such a poor home that all they could do upon his birth was to offer up two turtle doves, which is what the very, very poor were able to to offer up. If they had almost no money, they offered up two turtle doves at the birth of the firstborn son. His family was very poor. So poor, they put him into a feeding trough, which is what a manger is, in a barn. And that's where he was. There was no appearance that we should be attracted to him. There was nothing in Jesus. I've heard messianic scholars say, it appears as if Jesus was five foot four with crooked teeth. There was nothing in him. You'd be like, him? He's the guy? He's the Messiah? You know, we have this, this vision of this six foot two European looking guy with a sharp nose. And that's our appearance of Jesus, you know, movie star like. This is just the opposite. If you struggle with the way you look, if you struggle with your appearance, welcome to the world of Jesus. Welcome to the world of Jesus. This is what our Lord was like. Welcome to the world of Paul. Unimpressive. And when he spoke, his speech was contemptible. You know what this does? This gives me hope. This tells me that God can use me. God can use me the way I look, just the way I am. He can use me. I don't have to look like a movie star to be used of the Lord. And had I looked like a movie star, I would have fallen into tremendous temptation that would have been my absolute downfall because even the way I look, I was falling into things were confronting me. Once in a while. But if I had been, you know, looked like, you know, some movie star guy, I mean, look at the temptations that come after them. There's no way I could handle that. I mean, I just... You know, what has protected me so much in my life is my looks and my personality have kept me out of trouble, kept me out of falling into a lot of sin because I didn't have the opportunities. I praise God for that now. The very things that I struggled with when I was younger, I praise God for that. This is what he does. Paul was unimpressive. You think Paul would walk in a room, people would be like, Whoa, this guy, everybody would be quiet. No, that guy, that's Paul, that little guy right there. That's Elijah, the bald-headed guy. That's Elijah. This is what the Word of God teaches us. These men who were so powerful, including our Lord. This is what he says right up front. My name is Paul. I'm writing this book. Little, small. I'm the one writing this book. This is what he tells us about himself. And then he goes on and he says, he says, um, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus. A bondservant. You know what a bondservant is? This can be translated bondservant or bond slave. A slave is one who is a slave outside of their choice. Circumstances have caused them to fall into slavery. Maybe they fell into debt and fell into slavery. 
maybe they were, you know, their, their village was taken over, they fell into slavery. A bond slave is one who is a slave by choice. And we learn about that in the Old Testament. A bond slave is one who says, so, so if a person fell into debt, they could, a Jew fell into debt, they could be a bond slave. But a, after, after six years, they had to be set free unless they said, look, I like serving this master. I like it. Then he could become a bond slave for life. Paul was a bond slave. So when Jesus delivers us, when Jesus delivers us from bondage to sin, we are slaves of sin. If you do not know the Lord, you are a slave of sin. You may not realize it, but you are. You are a slave of sin if you do not know the Lord. When He delivers us, He does not make us a slave of, of, uh, of Jesus, His Son. He does not. He delivers us from being a slave to sin to being free. We are free. And then in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he encourages us to lay down our freedom and to become a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. A bond slave is of choice. Paul was a bond slave of choice. A bond slave of choice. This is the place where we should come to where we love the Lord Jesus Christ so much, I will gladly be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is my honor, Lord Jesus, to be your bond slave. Take my ear, stick the all right through it to the door. I will be the bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love him so much. He has given his life for me. Why would I not be his bond slave? I love Jesus so much, I will gladly be his bond slave. You are not forced to serve Jesus. You are not forced to serve Jesus. You have been freed from Satan and the power of death by the, resurre the resurrected Lord Jesus. But you have a choice to willingly become a bond slave. And Paul proudly put it there. You want to know who I am? I am Paul. Little Paul, that's me. The unimpressive guy with contemptible speech, that's me. And I am a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have willingly laid down my life to serve Him forever and ever unto death. And that's what I want to do. I want to be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I will forever serve Him. Jesus said, if anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And whoever serves me, the Father will honor him. It's in John chapter 12. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. And Jesus was getting ready to go to the cross. In John chapter 12, remember John, John's gospel is not written chronologically. In John chapter 12, all these foreigners were coming into the city. And that's when Jesus was going to be crucified. He knew his, his end was near. Let him follow me to the cross, he's saying. And Paul is going to follow Jesus right into death. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus called as, as an apostle, set apart for the gospel. He was called as an apostle. 
I mean, that is, that is the hardest thing to be called into, is to apostleship. It's the hardest thing to be called into apostleship. And that's what he talks about. Um, you think, wow, it must be great to be an apostle. You walk around, you get all this respect and everything, and you're an apostle. And I see people called apostles today. I'm like, you don't know what you're doing. You, you know, first of all, the, the, the scriptural definition of apostle, you had to have seen the risen Jesus. You had to have seen the risen Jesus. That constituted apostleship. And Paul even says, he says, I'm apostle. Have I not seen the Lord? And, and uh, uh, so that, so, so people might call themselves apostles today. I don't know that they're really apostles because they had to have seen the risen Lord. But anyway, <clears throat> look, at, look at what is one of the definitions of apostleship. Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9. Paul describes what it's like being an apostle. You think it's glorious? Here's what it is. For I think... God has exhibited us apostles last of all. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 4. God has exhibited us apostles last of all. As men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. So what he's saying to these believers, look, you, you, you have your jobs, you're distinguished, you have your honor, you walk into places, people say, hello, Mr. So-and-so, hello, Mrs. So-and-so, hello, Dr. So-and-so. Not us apostles. People look at us like we're fools, the way we live our lives for Jesus. And then he goes on. To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are Homeless. Apostles were homeless. They were homeless. They were hungry and thirsty. I have never been hungry. I've been hungry. I've, I've been, you know, hungry because, you know, my belly hurts because I hadn't eaten since lunchtime, you know, or because by choice I was fasting. But I've never been hungry because food was unavailable to me. Never in my life. I've been thirsty because. You know, I didn't have a bottle of water and it'd been three hours since I had it some water. It's like when my son comes home, I'm starving, I'm starving. And everything has to stop, I'm starving. I'm like, you don't look like you're starving. You look pretty healthy to me. But everything's got to stop because he comes in and he says he's starving. And when he says that, Shireen just jumps into action to make sure that her son is not going to faint. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but these men were really hungry and really thirsty. They were poorly clothed. They were roughly treated and they were homeless. We toil, working with our hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. You want to be an apostle? <laughs> Paul says, I'm an apostle. It's one of the 19 spiritual gifts that's spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Romans chapter 12. It's one of the most distinguished of the gifts, but it's the hardest of the gifts. 
He says, I've been called as an apostle. That was not a flattering thing. You're the scum of the world if you're an apostle. And if you're going to walk with Jesus in this life, if you're going to walk with Jesus, blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely in my name. For rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is what it is to walk with Jesus. So if you say, you know, if, 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 I, if I confess about Jesus, people are going to talk about me. Yeah, and Jesus told you this will happen. If you identify with him, people will talk about you. If you are in the sciences and you talk about how you love Jesus, people are going to look at you as if you're stupid. Yeah, okay. And what else? Blessed are you when men revile you. You are blessed when they say that about you. When Jesus said, blessed are you when men revile you, that means you're blessed. It means you're blessed. That's what it means. Every time they revile you, you know what God does? He looks from heaven. He says, okay, angel, stand back. Somebody just said something bad about that child of mine. I have to bless them. That's the promise. When you're reviled, you're blessed. I remember doing door-to-door ministry as a graduate student. I walked around the Purdue University campus and every apartment camp building around that campus, every that was non-university associated because I wasn't allowed to do it in the university residence halls. I knocked on every door over a period of years because I'd go out one night a week and just knock on doors and do door-to-door witnessing. And sometimes people would open the door and I'd say, um, do you have a few minutes where I could talk to you about Jesus Christ? And they'd say something nasty and they'd slam the door. And I thought, this is so wonderful. I didn't, even, I didn't even have to do a thing and I got a blessing. Because as soon as they said nasty things and slammed the door, the Bible said, you're blessed. Blessed are you when, when, when men revile you. I didn't have to do a thing. I just knocked on the door, said one sentence, and God blessed me. And I look back over my career and I say, look at how God has blessed me. Look at how he has done that. We're going to learn more from Paul. Uh, Hopefully, we'll move a little bit faster than half a verse per session. But this was just too good. It was too good. If you've struggled, I know so many young people struggle with the way they look to the point of suicide. Struggle with, you know, I'm not as intelligent as other people. I'm not as smart as other people. I'm not as good as other people. I share your low self-esteem. I share that. I mean, that has been a struggle my whole life. My whole life. It's been a struggle. And I look back over my life and I say, look what God has done. Look what He has done. So if you're shy, you're not the life of the party, and you're not, just thank God that you're not the life of the party. You know the life of the party? <laughs> you know how many temptations come their way? that would cause most men and women to melt? I mean, if you're a really attractive woman, you know how much interest comes your way that's insincere interest? And how much temptation comes your way? Thank God for the way you look. Thank God for the way He made you because He knows what we can bear. 
and realize what God can do through you. So when Paul walks in a room, he says, yeah, I know, you think I'm unimpressive. And as soon as I open my mouth, people think, what contemptible speech. When they look on Jesus and they say, there was nothing in him, there was nothing impressive about him. And it even says of him in, 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 in the same passage in, in Isaiah, he was one from whom men hide their face. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It happened to me once. There was a party in college, and I remember there was this really attractive young lady, and there were these bunch of guys standing around talking to her, and I, I had no pretensions that I was going to impress her. And, and, and I said one thing, and she looked at me like this. Like, excuse me for speaking. I mean, she just, just rolled her eyes because I mentioned one word. But look at what it says of Jesus. Like one from whom men hide their face. If someone, if you ever had that, where you've said something and people kind of roll their eyes, think they did that to Jesus too. He was one from whom men would hide their face and be like, oh no, it's him. My Lord knows what you've gone through. My Jesus knows your struggles. My Jesus knows your pain. And my Jesus is with you. If you don't, do not know the Lord, I urge you to know him today. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. Father, your word is so wonderful. Father, for those on this call who have struggled with low self-esteem, wishing that they could be different, that they could be look different, sound different, Father, I pray that you will show them what you can do through them in life, the amazing things that you can do through them, that you even took a man whose name was small, who was unimpressive, whose speech was contemptible, and you turned the world upside down through him. Thank you, Lord God, for the demonstration according to your word. Blessed be your name. And Father, for the unbelievers here, Father, I pray that you would save them from being a slave to sin. And Father, for the believers, that they would willingly lay their lives down to become a bond slave to the Lord Jesus. And I give this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.